Okay, good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We are going through Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in chapter 10. Chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Bible, anyone? We have a few over here. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace for the grace that was, Lord, purchased at such a high cost uh, by you, Lord, sending your son, Jesus, to die, Lord, suffering for us, being cut off so that we can be brought in, brought into life with you. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you'd lead us into all truth this morning, even as your word says that you do by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. The book of Acts. So as we discussed a few weeks ago, there. this is the story of the, the men and women, actually the men and women who traveled with Jesus during his three-year ministry. There was probably 120 people who uh, men and women who traveled with Jesus during his three-year public ministry. You know, growing up, I always just heard about the 12 apostles. But uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, very clear that there were many more who traveled around uh, with him. And uh, the book of Acts answers the question. So what happened to all those people after Jesus was resurrected and he ascended uh, into heaven? So among the first things that happened uh, to them, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had promised in John 16 uh, to, that he would do. He actually returned to them but in the person of the Holy Spirit. And now with uh, these men and women 
Acts 1.14 says there was about 120 of them uh, in, uh, in the upper room. In Acts 2, they were, the Holy Spirit came upon them. These men and women were transformed from a fearful, bickering, insecure group of people to just a, 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 a bold, loving, and sort of purposeful, people with a purpose who just declared the Word of God. They weren't perfect, and we'll see that as we go on in this book, the book of Acts. But uh, what they did... They just began a process of which would uh, uh, literally uh, uh, eventually sort of turn the world upside down. And so they began to declare a message, the message that Jesus had told them to uh, declare, that the grace of God that brings salvation had appeared to all men, that Jesus Christ came to bring salvation and it was available to uh, f- for all uh, for free. And within just a few works, the, the church went from 120 to 5,000. And in Acts chapter 5, uh, whenever you have this kind of growth, you have, you, you'll have sort of people in positions of power looking on being threatened. And that's what happened. In Acts 5, the religious authorities uh, got together and they said, you know, what are we going to do with these people? Uh, we got to stop this before the whole city is sort of won over by them. Uh, they were in Jerusalem. Should we kill them? Should we put them in prison and never let them go? What, what should we do? And so at that point, uh, at that point rather, a respected uh, rabbi, his name was Gamaliel. He was respected by all the people. He, got, uh, he stood up and he said to them, he said in Acts 5, uh, 5.36, he said, listen, you guys, cool out. That's like the 2010 translation. Cool out, guys. Uh, He said, and he reminded them, he said, you know, some time ago, a man named Theodos rose up and claiming to be uh, someone, about 400 people joined him, but he was killed and then everyone dispersed. And then Gamaliel continued, he said, after him, there was another guy, Judas of Galilee, he rose up, he drew away many people to himself, Uh, he also died and everyone who obeyed him was dispersed. And as as for these men, he's referring to these people who followed Jesus of Nazareth, leave them alone. If this is the work of men, it will come to nothing, he said in Acts chapter 5. But if it is of God, you don't want to be fighting against God. So just leave them alone. That worked for a little while. They sort of went back to their homes. But it only worked for a little while because what happened was after they went back home, the church grew even bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It began to multiply greatly, it says in Acts 6-7, even after that happened. So, well, in Acts chapter 10, something happened which is going to cause the church not only to go really from multiplying to actually eventually exploding. Acts chapter 10. And that's the, that's the chapter that we're uh, uh, in uh, now. Um, Christianity, if you can call it that even yet, it didn't even have that name at this time. Uh, in, by, you know, up until Acts chapter 10, it was really nothing more than a sect within Judaism. And Judaism was maybe 1% of the world population. That's a pretty limited mission field. When that's who you're going out to. But after Acts chapter 10, the mission field went from 1% of the world population to 
100% of the world population. Wow. So what happened? What happened in Acts chapter 10? Well, you see God supernaturally bringing two men together. Cornelius, a Gentile, a non-Jew. That's what 99% of the world was. And the apostle Peter, who was a Jew. Cornelius. So the setting this morning is, is we're in his house. It's in, in verse 34. It says in verse 2, again, just by way of review, who was he? He was a devout man and one who feared God and all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. He prayed to God always. Well, what did he pray about? Well, we talked about that last week. If you go back to verse 3, it says, he, he prayed to God always, that verse 3 of chapter 10. It says, about the ninth hour, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up before a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. So he prayed to God always. What did he pray about? He prayed, well, we see that the answer to his prayer was that Peter, something to do with Peter, that Peter uh, would come. And, 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 and why was Peter the answer to Cornelius' prayer? Because Peter had something that Cornelius wanted. And what was it? Well, Peter knew the way and he knew the truth and he knew the life. Cornelius at this time, all he's got is religion. We learn very clearly in the next chapter, chapter 11, he wasn't saved. He may have been devout. He may have been praying always. He was in a religious system and he was really, really discontent with it, even though he had status in society. Uh, he was a centurion in the Roman army, army, meaning he had a position of great status. And he was widely admired. He had money. Centurions were paid very well. No doubt at the time that he had tasted just the abundance of pleasure that was available to your average Roman it was just pleasure had been an idol, but still he's praying to God. Verse two says, always, always. And again, his prayer, God, please, there's something more than this. There is something more than this. I know there is. What is it? Please. He said, I have religion. I, I, I have the knowledge of you. He was a God-fearing Jew, so he would observe what went on uh, every week in a Jewish synagogue, and he knew the Old Testament Scripture. I have wealth. I have status. It says in verse 2 also that he had a family that was stable, and, and one of those families, you look at them and you say, wow, they have it all together. But there was still something crying in his heart, Lord, what is it? Tell me, what is it? And it says there in those verses 3 through 5, it says, okay, your prayer is answered. Go get Peter. Go get Peter. 
So meanwhile, God is working on Peter, we saw last week. In verses 11 and 12, Peter himself, uh, God's working on him. Uh, God shows him a vision. It says, a great sheet bound on the four corners, descending to him from heaven. And inside the sheet, it says there's four-footed animals, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And again, you read that, and it's like, what is all that about? You know, verse 13 says, then he heard a voice. says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So it's like things are getting stranger and stranger by the verse here, you know. And then Peter says in verse 14, not so, Lord. I would never eat stuff like that. You see, Peter was looking at all those creatures that were descending upon him. Imagine a vision like this from the Lord. I mean, you know, there's lobsters and pigs and pigeons and, you know, all these animals that are forbidden by the Mosaic law. And Peter had never eaten any of these things. Ostriches. And have you ever eaten an ostrich burger, by the way? A couple? The rest of you, you just don't know what you're missing. I mean, really. There's a restaurant right outside of Deerfield, Massachusetts. Ostrich burgers, man. You've got to get up there. But anyway, um, you know, he's seeing all these creatures, none of which he's allowed to eat. And, and the Lord is saying, rise, kill, eat. And, 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 and Peter says, no way, Lord. And then the verse, voice says in verse 15, it says, what God has declared, you must not call, rather what God has declared clean, you must not call unclean. And, and, and wow, this was a radical thing to be telling a good Jewish boy. And it says that this didn't immediately sink in. Verse 16, it says that God had to tell him three times. And still the next verse, it says that he wondered about what it meant. And, and the King James Version said he doubted what it meant. He says, surely this couldn't be so. The Lord doesn't want me eating, uh, you know, lobster rolls and ostrich burgers. I mean, you know, that's crazy. You know, whatever, fried pork, uh, chicharron, de cerro, you know, really yummy. I love it. Uh, you know, you need to get that thing out of your head is what the Lord is telling him. He's repeating to him. And God is faithful to do that. And, and with us, you know, when we have these things in our life, and, and really all they are are sort of just tradition. You know, how can I go into a church where the first half hour I, I'm not sort of saying prayer rituals and, and rising and doing a hymn and sitting down and listening to, to a prayer and then rising again and sitting down and singing the same, you know, uh, song that I've sung for years and years. The Lord is saying, you know, no, no, that doesn't have to be like that. It was so hard for me to, to leave sort of a traditional, um, frankly, at the time, my church, it was a dead church setting. And move into a setting just where the word of God was the centerpiece of every single service. And the Lord had to, just like he did with Peter here, had to get it into my head over and over. That's what you need. That's what you need. That is what you need. And so that's what the Lord has to do with us. That's what he does uh, with Peter uh, here. And so he is, he winds up... Um, 
the next thing you know, three people show up from Cornelius' house to take Peter back to Cornelius. Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house. And, and by the way, we do know uh, that he eventually eats with them in their house, in these Gentiles' house. How do we, how, how do we know that? Verse 3 of chapter 11, when he goes back to Jerusalem, back to his, uh, uh, the Jewish boys that he had grown up with, what did they say in verse 3 of chapter 11? They said, you went into an uncircumcised man and you ate with them. You know, so he had, poor guy, he was 35 years old before he had his ostrich burger. But anyway, um, he, 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 more importantly, and this is the understatement of the day for sure, Peter declares to everyone in Cornelius' house in verse 28. He says, he says, Peter said to them, verse 28, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. You know, he, the first thing he says to them is, You know how unlawful it is, because the Jews were very well known for being snobs. As unfortunately many in the Christian community are today. They get a taste of holiness and then it's holier than thou. And he says, first thing he says to them, you know, verse 28, that how unlawful it is for me to be with you. But then he goes on to verse 28, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I come without objection as soon as I... I came without objection as soon as I was called for. So, um, you know, apparently that the, the vision with the creeping things and the lobsters and the squid and whatever else was non-kosher in, in that big sheet was more than just about eating. God revealed to Peter, it's more than that. It's about people. You cannot no longer call anyone common or anyone unclean. And, and so uh, Peter winds up saying uh, there in, in verse 29, it says, So I've come, so for what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius responds and sums it up in verse 33. This is Cornelius speaking in verse 33. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So you have all these people in this room, Peter's up there, and everyone's just focused on him. You know, C.H. Spurgeon was asked. He was asked, so what makes a great preacher? And immediately he shot back, he said, a great congregation. I love that. The reason I love that is because, see, what he meant by that is that what really makes a, a good preacher is, is when he has a congregation that really, really, really wants to be instructed in the Word of God. You have a congregation like that, you will be made into a, a great preacher because they will drive you into the Word so that you learn how to declare the Word. And, and here is this wonderful picture in Acts chapter 10. Uh, uh, you just get the feeling that they, they are just like, you know, 
glued to their seat with, with you know, just dying to hear what the uh, words are that, that they have been, that they actually, God sent them, him to them for. He says, so now we are present to hear all the things commanded you by God. Verse 34 is where we picked up this morning. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began with, from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Now, we've talked about this before. The book of Acts is here in the word of God placed here by the Holy Spirit exactly in the place that it's in, after the Gospels, before uh, the letters, Paul's and others' letters, for a purpose, and it's, it's done to show us what the early church was like, but it's also placed there to show us what the church is supposed to be like today. So if a preacher preaches in the book of Acts, he, we, better be taking notes, especially me, I better be taking notes, because... That's what we're supposed to be hearing from pulpits today. If something was preached from a pulpit then, you better not be in a church except a church that is teaching the same things today. And so what does Peter teach about in this sermon? This is a short sermon. Three things. So simple. The life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And you say, well, okay, that sounds sort of obvious. Well, you'd be amazed at the lack of emphasis, particularly the death and resurrection of Christ, that is in pulpits in the United States today. And yet, we learn from sermon after sermon in the book of Acts, not only Peter, but also we've already learned from Philip, what we'll learn from Paul, who's also, his sermons are in the book of Acts, always needs to be front and center. So let's go through this verse by verse. He starts out in verse 34. He says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. I prefer the NIV translation. It says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. So again, that vision he had realized was much more than just about lobsters, pigs, and ostriches. It was about uh, something so much more. That God had declared an, a, 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 the whole world a people. That 99% of the world that, that, that in, in many respects were unclean because of the Mosaic Law. They weren't kosher, among other things. God is declaring them 
clean. Now, this is so radical to um, a Jew. The Jews hated Gentiles. They called Gentiles dogs. If you married a Gentile, uh, your family would have a funeral for you. Uh, there was an oath that uh, was common at this time that Jews, an oath that Jews made, never, in which they promised never to help a Gentile. They asked for, you know, which way to Damascus. You know, just, sorry, I can't help you. It, it, the writing was in such detail, the Jewish writings at the time, it even went down to the detail, even if you see a woman in labor, you are not allowed to help her. That's what they thought of Gentiles. And, and so it says in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. So color, race, nationality, religious background may never be a barrier for sharing the Lord. Neither may someone's lifestyle of sin. No matter how repulsive it may be to you, Jesus died for that sinner even as he's died for you. And so he's saying, Peter says, in truth I receive, I, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And, and by the way, God is calling us today to reach people that no one else wants to reach. He's calling us today to reach people that no one else wants to reach. Verse 35 uh, says this. It says, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Not that someone is saved without Christ in the jungle or something like that. That's not what this is talking about. We learned in, uh, we've already learned that that's not, the, uh, not true. What this is talking about is that God will enthusiastically send an apostle Peter or another messenger of Christ to anyone anywhere, regardless of color, race, or nationality, if the person is honestly reaching out to God as Cornelius and these people had done. Verse 36 says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. And it says here, primarily, it says that what did Jesus do? He preached. Uh, it says, what was uh, done through... It says, it says God sent to the children of Israel, pre he says, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Peace. Every single person who rolls out of the womb is, you know, starts immediately and now their own little war with God. <laughs> you know, so we, we, you know we, we have a recently some women in the church really, really pregnant. They were thinking, no, it's before. You know, they roll out of the room, you know, these punches, you know, all over the womb. But, but the Bible does say this, that, you know, God has established his way, his law, and everyone comes out of their mother's womb insisting on fighting God's way and going their own way. Verse 36, though, says that God sent to the children of Israel pe preaching peace through Jesus Christ. So through Jesus Christ, our striving ends, our little war God sent Jesus Christ so the little war would, would end. With some of us, it's a, just a big war. And, and we make peace with God. And then verse 36 concludes, He is Lord of all. Who is Jesus? 
The Bible says he's Lord of all. Lord means master. Jesus is Lord of all. And I want to ask each of you um, a question this morning. Are you able to declare that in your heart? Just right here sitting in your seat. Can you really say, Jesus Christ is Lord of all? Can you really say, in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord of all? Or are you in, the pla- in, a, in a place in your life when you, de- you, know, when you try to declare that and y- you know your heart is not behind what you're saying? You know your heart's not with that, those words. Why? Because there's a part of your life that Jesus isn't Lord of. You know, what we do sometimes, we compartmentalize our life. which is a little bit of our life and we put it in a compartment and we pretend that it's not there. God wants to be Lord over all. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Don't leave here today without doing business with God and truly making Him Lord of every area of your life. Verse 37 continues. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the help, with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And so the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, Peter here starts with the life of Christ. In verse 38, it says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus destroyed the effects of evil everywhere he went. Oh, how we need Jesus today to do the same thing, to destroy the effects of evil everywhere. How we need that. Duke University came out with a report that in the uh, year 2007, 40% of children in this country are born in homes where their mother and father uh, are not married. 40%. In the early 60s, it was something like 5%. In the communities that our church works in every week, we are in, in the youth prison in Boston, we're in the housing projects, the figure's closer to 90% there, entire communities being raised uh, by women, deadbeat dads. The government is utterly helpless, they don't know what to do with them. And the consequences on the kids are staggering. We need Jesus to destroy the work of the devil. You know, just as he did uh, when he, in, in his public ministry. Now, on the flip side of the coin, you know, there's an ugly side of evil, but there's a beautiful side of evil too. There's tens of, tens of thousands of students that 
pour into Boston every fall, and so many of them, even some who come to church here, they come under a spell. They're under a spell. They come under the spell of, you know, the American idol of career and prosperity and status, and their hearts are taken uh, captive uh, by this idol. And, and, you know, their relationship with God is just roadkill. It's just roadkill on the side of the road. And, and the tragedy is that, is that this idol is like a Trojan horse. Once you lay hold of the idol, and, you know, it takes you 20 or 30 years to lay hold of it, you, you realize it's empty. You just realize it's, it's, just, uh, it's an empty, just like a, a Trojan horse. And it, listen, without Jesus Christ, there's nothing, there's there's nothing going to be inside of that prosperity. There's, it's, there's not going to be anything. Uh, in, it, it's going to be fruitless. It's just going to be empty. It's, gonna be, it's an empty, fruitless, vacuous life. And how many students do we do we speak to around the city? And, and you know, you just speak to, to them. And it's like that old movie from the 50s, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You would just think, you know, you know even the ones calling themselves Christians, they're so dead set on, on, on achieving this idol. We need Jesus Christ today as much as we ever have to just bind the evil one. To free men and women from this kind of idolatry, which is real. It's real. The student's just bound up in it. And so this is what Jesus did everywhere he went during his ministry. Verse 38 says, he went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. So Peter talks about the life of Christ. Next, he talks about the death of Christ. At the end of verse 39, uh, it says very simply in a half a verse, it says, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Whom they killed by hanging on a tree. A well-known American theologian was quoted as saying this. He said, and I su- I'm summarizing here, he said, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things about the life of Christ that are powerful and worth studying. The death of Christ is not one of them, he said. And that type of thinking is what is just utterly prevalent in most of, of the seminaries, if not all of them that are in this city, the city of Boston. They, you know, they should change the name of their seminary from Christian to something else because in all the sermons in the book of Acts, the death of Christ is front and center. Why? The Bible says it is through Jesus' death and Jesus' death alone that God has made peace with man. The Bible says, Romans 6.23, penalty of our sin is death. God's not indifferent to sin. What kind of God would be indifferent to sin no he judges it the judgment is death jesus took our place and he died for us and the cross always needs to be given prominence in every message so the life of jesus the death of jesus and the resurrection of jesus in verse 40 it says him speaking of jesus god raised up on the third day and showed him openly not to all the people but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us, 
to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And so by the resurrection of Jesus, we have new life in him. We have it is by the resurrection of the G, uh, of Jesus that we can confidently know that he through us will continue to be doing good and, and destroying the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the work of the devil around us. It is by the resurrection that God demonstrated for all to see that the Bible is the word of God. In other words, here, you want, it was God's way of saying, you want to know whether the Bible is true? He resurrected his son. You see, it is true. It was his stamp of validation on the word of God. That's what the resurrection was. And so, um, you know, as you share uh, your faith and you meet opposition, and, and certainly we're in, a, in an age uh, where there's a, a spirit of skepticism and unbelief. As you share your faith and you hear, how can anyone know God is real? You may want to respond like this. Well, how do you explain the, res- the resurrection? How do you explain it? Don't be on the defensive with anyone. You put the person you're talking with on the defensive. How do you explain the resurrection? Oh, well, they stole the body and pretended there was a resurrection. Well, but, but then why, did, why was there 120 plus people willing to live and die for a lie? If they stole the body, why would they then be willing to go out, be relentlessly persecuted, see their wives and children be put to death? Eventually, um, many of them were put to death. Eleven of the twelve apostles were killed for their faith. One of them was not the apostle John. He was dumped in boiling oil and sent to the island of Patmos to live by himself. Now, why? Who would do all that for a lie? It wasn't done for a lie. It was done because in verse 40, they saw it. It says, God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him. What he's saying is this. We're not talking about ghost stories here. We ate and drank with this guy. And the Apostle Paul says there were 500 of them. So the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And so then in verse 43, he, he concludes his sermon. He didn't want to conclude it. Well, he gets interrupted. We'll see what happens. In verse 43, he's speaking to this room full of people and it says, to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Wow. Peter's interrupted here by the Holy Spirit. Verse 44 again says, while Peter was still speaking. Wait a second, Lord. I had 12 points. I've only gotten through three. You know, sorry, you know, uh, I'm cutting you off right here. You know, one of my favorite stories, by the way, is in in Haiti. Serge, last January, was teaching on Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that 
Pastor uh, Serge, who's the uh, pastor of our sister church there in Haiti and, and lives in, the, in, 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 in our orphanage down there, he said he was teaching a Bible study at about 5 o'clock in Haiti in January. And he was teaching from Ephesians 1, and he said, And the Holy Spirit will seal your salvation. And right then, an earthquake just broke out. Right after he said that verse. He was right in the middle of a message. Right after he said that verse. And I often think of that. Wow. You talk about an interruption. Right after he said, the Holy Spirit will seal your salvation. Very similar thing um, right here. Right here. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. And it, 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 it says, on all who heard the word. All, not some. All who heard the word. You know, this is such a powerful story. What do we learn from this right here? Well, listen. One thing is this. People so desperately want to rid themselves of their guilt. What had Peter said immediately before the Holy Spirit fell upon him? In verse 43, he said, To him, Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes on him will receive remission, meaning forgiveness of sin. People are so ready to rid themselves of their guilt. Some of you have heard this story before, but in the early 1980s, there was a crisis in the mental facilities in the state of California. They were bursting at the seam. They asked the head of the mental health system his opinion. You know, how can this all be alleviated? He said, "You, someone needs to create a pill that will be uh, the, the cure for guilt. If someone comes up for a, a, a solution for guilt, all the mental facilities will empty out. You know, around the same time in, in, in California, only, this has only happened in California. Sorry, I know like half of you are from California, but they, 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 they came up with a 1-800 number in California, a 1-800 number, where you just called and you confessed, and you confessed to like a nobody. You just confessed. And you knew beforehand that no one was really listening. It was like an imaginary, but you call, you had an opportunity to confess. People were calling, they were confessing of all the worst kind of crimes, murder. And the thing just ran off, rang off the hook. People want to rid themselves of guilt. They absolutely do. And you know, most people, everyone struggles with guilt because everyone has sin, but most people cope with it in their, by spending their lives just trying to rationalize their sin, by listening to, uh, you know, uh, really educated professors and psychiatrists and the media, uh, and they convince themselves that what they've done really isn't that bad. They just try to spend their whole lives trying to convince themselves of that. But it never works. What does work is what is described here in this sermon. What had happened? They had just been told in verse 42 that Jesus is who? He's the judge. What does work is you go to the cross, you go to the judge, you accept full responsibility for your sin. Then the judge will say, guilty is charged. He will give the sentence to you. Death is the sentence. He will get up off the judge's seat and he, ca- he comes down to earth and he takes your judgment on himself. And as soon as Peter tells them how they, in verse 42, how they can be uh, 
rid of their guilt, rather verse 43 there, as soon as he tells them that, to a man, to a woman, collectively in their heart, they believed and they're saved right then, that second. The Holy Spirit just falls upon them. No need for an altar call. A preacher doesn't have to say, okay, now raise your hands if you want to be saved. They don't have to say a sinner's prayer. It all happened. The altar call happened in their heart. The sinner's prayer just happened right there in their heart. It's all a heart thing. And it doesn't matter where you are. You don't need to be in a church. You don't need to be in a Bible study. Many of you know Stephen Ramirez here who was uh, moved up to, to Maine with his wife. But I, for some reason, his testimony always sticks with me. He was saved right in front of his washing machine, you know, wash, putting the darks here, the whites there. And all of a sudden, you know, something just grips his heart. He's saved right there. I was underneath an apple tree on a mountain in Switzerland. <laughs> just all by myself. And I just started thinking, you know, I have never declared in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I'd never done that. And, and, and so, you know, altar calls are great. We do them here. But it's a transaction that really, supremely, it's a private transaction between you and the Lord. So in verse 44, again, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, meaning the Jews, who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And here's where the beginning of the, the church goes from multiplying to eventually exploding, because the missionary field, the missions field just expanded by 99%. Verse 45, verse 46, rather, for they heard them, it says, rather, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then they asked him to stay a few days. So there you have it. And, and you know, I, I think of, of verses that are so, so demonstrate that there's nothing that you or I can ever do to be good enough to go to heaven. You just can't do it. Verse 44 says that they're just sitting there and all they did was what believe believe in jesus plus nothing is is really what the bible says how what the bible says a man or woman must do to be saved not believing facts about jesus the bible says the demons know when jesus was born and that he was raised from the dead but they shudder they shudder knowing where, you know, their destiny. No, when the, when, when, when the Bible speaks about believing in Jesus and being saved, it means that you believe in Jesus and your life and eternal life is found in Him. So, so you believe that 
in him, in Jesus, is your life and eternal life. They are found only in Christ. And as soon as you believe that, doesn't matter if you're sitting in a seat in this congregation or if you're in front of your washing machine or in a, under an apple tree in Switzerland. The Bible says you're gloriously saved into an abundant, everlasting relationship with the living God. If that's never happened in your life, there'll be someone up here praying after, uh, available for prayer after the service. Come up and you can just pray through with them. Or if you just want to do it in your seat. Or if you've never made Jesus uh, Lord of all. Or if you've made him Lord in the past, but you know, you can't say it in your heart this morning. Yes, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Please, come up and pray with us after the service. This is the family of God. Families need to be vulnerable with each other and praying with each other. It's worth it. The abundant life with Christ is available to those who in their heart believe that Jesus Christ is is Lord of all. Because why would God ever support one of His dearly beloved uh, children? Why would He ever support them when they have even a part of their life outside of His will? So if that describes you too, please uh, come up and, and pray. This is a glorious message of grace and God gives us the grace to really live out this message. That's the wonderful, wonderful good news of the gospel. Okay, the worship team could come up. We're going to close with um, a worship song. Before we do, why don't we uh, close in in prayer? Father, we just thank you uh, for this uh, time, Lord, this morning where we just open your word up. And Lord, we learn yet again about your grace. The world is so graceless and you are so filled with grace. And Lord Jesus, you say to us in your word that you came not only to give us life, but that we would have life to the full. And I just pray for every man and woman here today, Lord, Lord, that you would draw them into just doing a serious business with you, Lord, of where you really are in their lives. And Lord, for just all of us, Lord, that we would just walk out of here and go into this week magnifying you just as these people did in the first seconds of their salvation that we may continue to do it, Lord, whether we've been two weeks, one year, ten years, or thirty years in the Lord, just magnifying you with our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can all...